It happened down in North Carolina. David Hayes was fishing with his granddaughter. The two of them were sitting in the end of a long pier, and they'd been sitting there all morning long and hadn't caught a thing. But they were having a good time, talking, enjoying the beautiful scenery. Well, after they'd been sitting there for a couple of hours, the little girl turned to her grandfather and said, Grandpa, I need to go to the bathroom. Would you hold my fishing pole and fish for me while I'm gone? And Grandpa said, sure, be glad to. So the little girl took off, and Grandpa put his line down, and he grabbed this tiny rod and reel, this pink Barbie doll rod and reel. Felt more like a toy instead of an actual fishing pole. And Grandpa was thinking to himself, I'll never catch anything worthwhile with this. But hey, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this for my granddaughter. Well, wouldn't you know it, a minute later, the bobber moves. It sinks into the water. I mean, it disappeared with a vengeance. And all of a sudden, David Hayes realizes he's got a big fish on the line. I mean, it's a 30-minute battle, and he ends up winning. 30 minutes later, he pulls out this big fish, a catfish, a state-record catfish, 21 pounds, 32 inches long, two inches longer than the pink Barbie doll fishing pole. <laughs> now, to me, the lesson is pretty clear. Amazing things will happen when you're willing to fish for others. You see, that story is a parable for our lives. When God made us, he made us for a reason. We're not here by accident. And one of the reasons why God put us here is so we can make a difference for others. We're not just here to eat and play and take up space. No, we were put in this world so we could add something to the world, so that we could add something to life. I mean, you check out the research. Study after study, the results are always the same. It's the people who give the most who grow the most. It's the people who are willing to give of their time and give of their talents and give of their money. They're the ones who always have a much experience at a much higher level, a joy and a delight and a satisfaction in their life. And why? Because they're doing what they were made to do. Think of what you see when you go to the grocery store. Here are all these items sitting on the shelf, and almost every one of them has a date stamped on it. The boxes of cereal, the bottles of milk, the orange juice, the jar of mayonnaise must be used by 613. What's that telling you? It's telling you that none of the things that sit on the shelf were made to stay on the shelf. Every one of those items was made to be used. In fact, if it stays on the shelf too long, the stuff inside the container begins to go bad. It wasn't made to be kept. It was made to be used. It was made to be given away. Well, so it is in your life and mine. We were put here to make a contribution. We were created by God to make a difference for others. We were put in this world so we could add something to this world. And that's the truth that's being taught in this scripture that we're going to study today. So take a look at this with me. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about the church and how everybody in this church has a role to play. Everyone has a contribution to make. And it doesn't matter whether your ministry is public or private. It doesn't matter whether you're serving on the stage or working behind the scenes. Everybody's participation is vital. In other words, God's church will not function properly unless everybody is involved and everybody is doing their part. So to make that point and to make that point really clear in these seven verses that we're going to read today, the Apostle Paul's painting a picture for us. He says, the church is like a body. Like a human body. And this body has many parts, has many organs, many muscles, and many bones. But if any part of this body is not healthy, we feel it. 
When your arm is broken, when your tooth aches, when your ankle is sprained, when your lower back is sore, when your head is pounding with a headache, with a migraine, man, you feel it and you cannot function like you should. And as you're suffering, you're being reminded of this truth. Man, every part of my body really matters. I can't get along without this. So it is in the church. Every member is important. Now watch how the Bible teaches us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 12. It says, just as a body, a human body, though one has many parts, and all those many parts form one unit, one body. Well, so it is with the body of Christ, the church. For we were all baptized by one spirit. Now notice that, all. We were all baptized. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not some special blessing reserved for just a, a few elite Christians. No, this is something that all Christians have experienced. Even though God may have given us, and he has, many different gifts and many different opportunities to use those gifts, yet the one thing that we all share in common is this. We've all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit that now lives and dwells inside every believer. It's the Holy Spirit who joins us to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who immerses us in all of his benefits. So it says we were all baptized by, maybe a better way to translate this is we were all baptized in one spirit. Because four other times when the Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it makes it very clear that Jesus is the one who's doing the baptizing. And that when Jesus baptizes us, he baptizes us in or with the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit who joins us together, that brings us together, that makes us one people, one family. Or as it says here, one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers. It is the Holy Spirit who enables, who equips every member in the body. So verse 14, there's one body, there's one church, but it's not just made up of one part, but of many. So think about what's being described. When the Bible talks about community, when the Bible talks about being unified, it doesn't require that everybody be the same. Think about the day of Pentecost, what Ben was talking to us about this morning. Acts chapter 2, the day when the church was started. There was a big crowd there that day. But it was also a very diverse crowd. People from all over the world had gathered in the city of Jerusalem. So when the apostles got up to preach, they spoke in different tongues, different languages. So that everybody there could hear the story of Jesus in a way that they would understand. Same message, same truth being delivered to all the people, and yet the truth was delivered in a number of different accents. And yes, 3,000 people joined the church that day. 3,000 people came together to affirm there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 3,000 people were now united in their allegiance to Jesus. But those 3,000 people were still the people they once were, people from Europe, people from Asia, people from Africa, people with different languages and different kinds of cultural backgrounds. So no doubt... When they left Jerusalem and they returned back home, they probably had all different kinds of ways of worshiping and serving that one Lord. Or think about how the Bible talks about this in the book of Revelation, how it describes heaven. How in the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be people from every tribe and language and nation. We're not all going to be alike. We're not all going to look alike. There's going to be a lot of diversity in that new place. Yes, in the new heavens, the new earth. The barrier is going to be removed. We're all going to live together in perfect harmony. We're all going to be together as one family. But what makes being this one family, what's going to make it so interesting, so exciting, what's going to make it so much fun are the differences between us. The differences that will enhance and enrich everybody's life. So when the Bible talks about unity, think about a salad bowl. 
In that one salad bowl, you have the lettuce and tomatoes, you have the olives and onions, you have the cheese and the croutons, and a whole bunch of other ingredients. And it's all mixed together in one bowl. But though it's all mixed together, yet the tomatoes remain tomatoes and the lettuce remains lettuce. Every one of those individual items retains its individuality. But what unites them all together is a salad dressing. Well, the salad dressing in God's salad bowl, the God's salad bowl is the church, and the salad dressing in God's salad bowl is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who unifies. He's the one who intensifies. He's the one who adds flavor to every part of that salad. Now, here's the problem. Here's one of the reasons why we struggle to take this truth and put it into practice. You see, ever since we were kids, we've been comparing ourselves uh, to other people. You know, which kids in the playground are the fastest runners? Who has the most friends coming to their birthday party? We're constantly comparing ourselves to others and looking at what they have and, and what they do and thinking to ourselves, are they better than me or, or, or am I better than them? And so when somebody else happens to be more popular or someone else happens to be more ta uh, talented, we just automatically think, well, what we have, what we do is not nearly as important as what they have, what they do. That's not true. That's not the way to evaluate things. That's not how God sees it. Notice what he says. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, notice how God's designed things. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. We live in a world that says it's a sin to be average. Inconspicuous means insignificant. It's the people who stand out who receive all the applause. People who stand out because they're beautiful or they stand out because they're rich or because they stand out because they're so talented. They're the ones who really seem to matter. They are our American idols. And so the message that comes across to us, hey, you want to be worth anything? You got to stand out from the crowd because you happen to be
prayed, and the service came to an end. And Mr. Niebuhr thought to himself, well, nothing special happened this morning. Well, after the service, a man came up to him and said, Mr. Niebuhr, that prayer you prayed, that really touched my heart. Could I have a copy of it? And Reinhold, Reinhold Niebuhr was a little bit surprised. He said, well, I didn't write anything down. I just kind of prayed that off the cuff. And the man said, yeah, but that prayer was powerful. It really blessed my life. Can you try and remember what you said? So Mr. Niebuhr said, okay, I'll, I'll try. So he reached down on the pew and he grabbed a bulletin. And on the back of the bulletin, he began to write these words. Father, give us the courage uh, to change the things that must be altered. And then give us the serenity to recognize and accept the things that we cannot change. And then, Father, give us the insight to distinguish the one from the other. The man took the prayer home, and over the years, he began to share that prayer with other people. Ten years later, it had become one of the most popular prayers in all of America. In fact, it's a prayer that's still used to this day. It's used in a lot of recovery groups, groups like Alcoholics Anonymous. We often refer to it as the serenity prayer. Over the years, the words have been tweaked and modified, but the thought is still the same. Today, when we hear that prayer prayed, it's often prayed like this. God, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Give me the courage to change the things I can. And give me the wisdom to know the difference. But think about this. On that day when that prayer was first prayed, here was this simple prayer prayed in a small church. And the preacher never expected it to go any further than that. But God took that prayer and magnified its impact. So that today, years later, that one prayer has blessed millions and millions of people's lives. You know, it's like the little boy who brings his lunch to Jesus. Five loaves, two fish. But Jesus takes that one lunch and uses it to feed thousands. Who knows how God may take your gift, my gift, and magnify its impact. Whether that's stopping by a widow's house to clean the gutters, or coming to a hospital to pray for a friend, or sending a card with a little note of encouragement on the inside, sending that card to that, that boy, that girl that never talks in class. You know, that act of kindness, that act of service, it may seem small and insignificant to you, but if you're really letting God's Holy Spirit work through your life, you just never know how he may take that simple kindness and multiply the blessings. True story. A lady was teaching a second grade Sunday school class. On this particular day, a little boy was visiting, visiting for the very first time. This little boy only had one arm. So the teacher was immediately worried, <laughs> worried that the kids might say or do something to make that boy feel embarrassed. So the whole time she's teaching, she's kind of tense and on edge. Oh, I hope nothing goes wrong today. And yet the kids were great. Nobody stared. Nobody asked any awkward questions. Everybody made the new boy feel really welcome. I mean, all the boys and girls were just wonderful. And so the teacher began to relax. She got to the end of the class and she said, okay, boys and girls, we're going to finish our class today like we finish every Sunday morning. We're going to finish with this little exercise to remind us of who we are. We are the church. You know, here's the church and here's the steeple. Let's open the doors and see all the people. And as soon as she said that, she realized what she had done. She was the one now making it hard for this little boy to be able to participate. The little boy with the one arm. And she felt awful. And she instantly began to try to think of something to say so she could fix things. Well, it was the little girl sitting next to the new boy who put her arm around him and joined her hand with his hand and said, Here, Jimmy, let's build the church now, that's the kind of love, the kind of thoughtfulness the Bible's trying to encourage here. 
Every member of this church has a gift. Nobody has all the gifts, which means we need each other. I need what you can do for me, and you need what I can do for you. And it's only as we're willing to share, only as we're willing to take what God has given each one of us and begin to share that together, that only then we can become the church, the body of Christ that God wants us to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for the grace that has been given to us, the gifts that you've given us so that we can help others. God, may we never be shy or hesitant in seeking to serve you. God, may everything we say and do be a blessing that your Holy Spirit can use to touch other people's hearts. God, may everything about our lives be a testimony for Jesus, a testimony that will draw others closer to him. And we pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.